and then you refinance for $350,000 and do it all over again. Hey everyone, Philippe Eidrich here, your host here at the Duke Pod. We talk everything about real estate and real estate stories. Happy New Year first and foremost, uh, 2022. Welcome, warm welcome from me. If you're listening to this in another year, well then happy new year, whatever year you're listening to this. Uh, so we'll keep that in mind. So today what I decided to talk about is all the different steps about owning an investment property. So purchasing, owning, things you could look out for, different strategies. Um, I have lots of clients that are investors. So I'm going to take you guys through a few examples and we're going to start from the top all from getting your financing getting your approval uh, all the way down to to looking for the correct property um, finding the right tenants and then later on what you could do with it in terms of refinancing or flipping it and so forth and what are some of those ramifications you ready let's go all right the first and foremost so you own a house and you're looking for an investment it's going to take you 20% down uh, to purchase another investment. Any residential property will be 20% more or less. So hopefully you have the income to back it up. Now, pro tip here, if you own multiple properties or you're just starting to uh, become an investor, the more investments you own, there are certain banks out there that will add your rental income towards your income. And it'll some properties you own, depending on what type of investment you own, it may actually improve your chances to get another property. So you can get up to five properties uh, and then you have to be a little bit creative after that. However, just a quick uh, sidebar for those people that may be listening and have not ever purchased a property. It's totally fine. Now, one of the things I'm telling a lot of uh, young professionals are, for example, let's say you live in Toronto and you can't afford a house in Toronto, but you could get a pre-approval, you could get a mortgage for, let's say, 400000 or 500000 Now, that doesn't get too much in the city, but I do recommend that you buy an investment uh, outside the city and then just rent it out and sit on it for a while. It's better than not buying anything at all. In fact, certain cities like North Bain and uh, Sudbury have gone up nearly 100% since the beginning of the pandemic. I believe some of the numbers were north of 90%. So uh, buying something further away that you can rent out and it'll cover your costs. It probably should make you some cash on the side. It's better than just sitting on, uh, you know, and hoping that the market will go down. That's not a good idea. So uh, you're looking for, tw- for looking for a property. You have your 20% down. You've saved it. Uh, you may be able to refinance your house. If you don't have the money, you uh, may be able to get a secure line of credit from the bank uh, regarding your primary residence. Okay, and then you have your 20% down. You go to the bank or you go to a mortgage broker. I recommend a mortgage broker. They're easier to uh, you know, swim through all the different options out there, all different lenders, especially a really good one that deals with a lot of investors. Definitely talk to that person. And uh, they approve you for a mortgage. You have all your documents with you. Okay, make sure. If you're self-employed, uh, you will need at least two years of uh, T1 statements. And uh, just a quick tip for those people that have changed jobs. Uh, if you have changed jobs or got a new job, you will have to wait for three months probation to be able to use that new income uh, towards a mortgage. 
And if you have a pre-approval and you want to buy something and you want to change jobs, do not change jobs until after you have either purchased the property and closed on the property or uh, change jobs and then buy something later. So there's no complications with the mortgage. All right. Once you have your pre-approval, you're going to be looking for a property. Uh, stay open-minded unless uh, it's a very easy decision. If you have a budget of let's say five, six hundred thousand, and you live in London, Ontario, then you probably have a lot of options. But if you let's say you live in the GTA and that's your budget, or maybe your budget six hundred thousand, uh, some places that you could afford a duplex-style investment uh, is, for example, Niagara Falls. Um, London, uh, maybe if you go to like Sudbury, North Bay, uh, maybe if you go to like uh, out Far East. Um, so there's going to be a few different cities. You could probably buy them. You just got to look around. Uh, you can ask a local realtor or um, you can reach out to a few guys that, that do a lot of real estate investments. I'm sure you could find them. So what you basically want to be doing is looking at a lot of properties and looking at the numbers. Um, I recommend looking at at least 20 properties. So you see what kind of value what kind of investment you can get for your what bang for your buck you can get and depending what is important to you uh certain properties appeal to others so for example when i buy real estate uh for investments and a lot of uh, people they always want a cash flow positive is generally uh something that most people talk about if not their only requirement in some cases uh my recommendation is the easiest cash flow positive investment is going to be a duplex style home uh, within your budget most duplexes will cash flow between two to four hundred dollars still given the current prices of the open market you may uh there are some exceptions but in general i believe if you uh have are renting out a house the top and the bottom separately you should cash flow positive and that is the easiest investment that is probably one of the best investments to get into maybe a recommended First investment, there's only two tenants. There's very little work involved most of the time. Obviously, it depends on what you're buying and what your budget is. Um, and uh, one of the more common uh, investments that people get is a single family dwelling. And then, for example, it's a bungalow or a detached house, uh, maybe even a semi, depending on, uh, you know, if you really want to legalize it. If you want to legalize it, stick to a detached house. If you want a legal basement apartment, stick to a detached house. The city, most cities will be able to approve, approve a legal basement dwelling. Um, so basically a single family residential, when you're thinking about that, you generally think about a bungalow, for example, where they have a separate entrance. Bungalows are 40, 50 years old or older most of the time. And they've the builders have designed them with separate entrances to go down to the storage, which is the basement. <laughs> but mo most bungalows have tall enough basements you need the basement to be at least six and a half feet tall, 6.6 .6 feet in most cities to be approved legally. Uh, but basically most basements will be seven feet high. If they're seven feet high, then you're good to go. You can have a legal basement apartment. Uh, what I look for when I purchase these types of homes for clients is uh, a house that's move-in ready. Okay, it doesn't have to be great. Obviously it depends on our budget again. Uh, it has a finished basement, it has a bathroom, it has a bedroom or even without a bedroom is not that big of a deal, but it has at least a bathroom and a finished basement and a separate entrance. Uh, you can build a wall. Uh, one of my clients just purchased one of these homes with just one bedroom in the basement and the basement is fairly large. 
those are one of the benefits of bungalows is they have the same size upstairs and downstairs. So they're very large basements. And he just created a second bedroom. And now instead of renting the basement for 1100, he's renting it for 1400 because it's two bedrooms. So you can create, you can make a wall, you can hire a contractor handyman, or if you're a little handy yourself, it's really not that difficult. Um, it is probably a slightly higher than a little bit easier than just painting a room or sorry, a little harder than just painting a room, but you can hire a professional at a wall. The, what you really want to look for is, is there space? You can just add a kitchen. If the basement already has a kitchen bonus, then you could basically rent it. And then, uh, if it doesn't, then you have, you can go to Ikea. You can buy most of the material for a kitchen in Ikea, buy some used appliances, uh, maybe be able to put that whole kitchen in it at five to seven thousand dollars if you're pretty frugal i've done it once for five thousand so just heads up i think most people will cost them at least seven thousand with the cost of construction going up these days uh it could be for more but i'm just saying very basic you know uh sixty dollar uh countertop hundred dollar countertop from ikea appliances from ikea um you know you can do uh, sinks everything there uh, and just add an oven and a kit and a fridge you can find uh, used for like a hundred bucks each, 150 bucks. Uh, you can buy brand new. I do like to buy brand new uh, over time because and get like a three year warranty just because they don't break down. Right. One of the worst things, one of the worst experiences I ever had is buying a used appliance for uh, an investment house and then giving it, installing it myself, taking time to drive it over. And then for example, the dryer stops working after like the second use and I got to find another one. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks, especially if you're like a busy person and, or if it's just a busy time, you know, you want to spend time with your family and so forth. Okay. So you look around and uh, one of the things you'll find with the current market is that it's actually very difficult to get a house these days. There's such a huge supply for homes. You're competing against other people that uh, just want to own their first house and, uh, absolutely i feel sorry for those people it's it's a tough life out there but you're doing the best you can and you're competing so the rule of thumb in terms of making offers okay you can look at as many homes or as little homes as you want that's up to you but the rule of thumb in terms of making offers is 10 to 1. so you may have to put 10 offers to get one accepted uh there's nothing wrong with making a lot of offers uh, sometimes you have to stick to a certain budget and you say, okay, I'll buy this house if it can go for this. But some of these places are, you know, they have 10 offers on them, you know, 30 offers, like even five offers. You may think you have a chance and someone, uh, some, uh, you know, person has trying to buy their first home and they've lost so many offers. They're fed up and then they just go like 40,000 over the second highest offer. I've seen it many, many, many times and they get the house and you as an investor, you do not want to be emotionally involved in these types of decisions. You just want to think clearly and say, if it goes for this number, this is my max. Okay. There are situations where you put in an offer and the listing agent calls you back and say, thank you for your offer. It's actually very, very close to the winning offer. If you can do one thing and change this or this, or just go up $5,000, you'll get it. Um, Sometimes that happens if you're very close to another offer or if somebody else doesn't want to remove a condition and you're willing to because you're already financially improved and uh, you've gone through the house, you're okay with the condition of the house. Uh, generally to win these offers, you have to have a clean, firm, unconditional offer. You can have a high deposit. Remember you have 20% down, so you can easily put 5% down to the house 
and you get it. Uh, quick sidebar in terms of uh, legal duplexes and uh, fourplexes and so forth. I'm going to just give you a quick um, uh, education on that. Uh, if you buy a single dwelling home, um, that you're probably buying it from someone that has lived there. So you're going to find the tenants, right? You may have to do some updates. Uh, you may have to add a kitchen. You may have to add some doors. Um, you may have to do a few things to get it ready. So you have to set a little bit of money aside. Typically five to $10,000 should do it. Um, you know, you can calculate it when you walk in there uh, roughly uh, or talk to some of your friends that are uh, contractors. Your realtor may be able to give you a pretty good idea of what it may cost to get it to where you need it to be. Um, if you're buying a legal duplex, which is totally fine, you are most likely inheriting the tenants. So you can probably meet the tenants, uh, especially when you go through it, often the tenants are home. But it's kind of like, you know, at the end of the day, every single tenant is a bit of a curveball. Like you don't know if it's going to work out or not. You know, often, you know, even I have, uh, for example, had tenants that had amazing resumes and they were like teachers and stuff. And as soon as they move in, they're fighting with everyone else and they just can't live there. And, um, you know, it's hit or miss. And other times tenants, some tenants just stay forever. And uh, then after like five, 10 years, you're like, damn, they're paying such good rent over there. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that's up to you to decide whether you want to increase their rent or you want to keep the tenants happy. And, um, you know, that depends on what kind of investor you want to be, right? So that's for another topic. Uh, in terms of other investments, for example, uh, banks will consider any any home, residential home, uh, or sorry, will consider any investment a residential uh, investment if it's four units or less. Some banks will even consider five units to be potential residential. So if it says on the MLS page that it's a residential multiplex, that may be uh, what the bank is looking for to determine if it's residential. And uh, guaranteed, if you have six or more units, it is a commercial property. So you're going to go through commercial lending. Uh, you have to go through a commercial agreement of purchase and sale when you send the offer. And it's going to be a little bit different. And you will need 25% down to purchase that property. Uh, the uh, benefits of owning multiple units is basically that when you own a duplex, for example, you only have two tenants. Or you may even own a townhouse, you have one tenant. And when that tenant moves out, uh, you can then increase the rent to the market rent. So uh, for example, maybe someone is paying $1,000 for a basement apartment, uh, but they should be paying 14 or 1500 is today's market value. Well, you just, you can't really increase it that much. You can increase it by 1.8% every year, which is like 20 bucks. And, uh, you know, they can live there for as long as possible. So if you have one tenant, you only have one chance to increase the rent to market rent. If you have two tenants, you have two chances every time they move out. If you have six tenants or 10 tenants, you have 10 chances uh, for someone to move out. And then you could, uh, you know, fix up that, that room, freshen it up, clean it up, and then rent it out for the market value, which could be a huge difference. Could be a difference of five, six, seven, even a thousand dollars sometimes. So those are the pluses and minuses you got to think about when you look at multiplex places. All right, now you buy a place, you have your tenants in place. Uh, basically, once you own uh, a duplex or you own a multi-residential, in terms of a duplex, if it's not that far from you, just maintain it yourself. 
it's not going to be too big of a deal i don't think you need a property manager for one unit if it's further for you it's further than an hour that's when i start considering um property management which typically costs between eight to ten percent of the gross amount so if you're renting a house for three thousand dollars a good property manager will charge you $300 a month and he will be uh, the voice for all the tenants. He'll collect all the checks, he, that's, he'll deal with the tenant complaints, he'll call all the trades that need to be done. If, uh, a, For example, if uh, a toilet gets flooded and you need to call a plumber, he'll do all that. So if you're a person that is high stress level or you just don't like to be bothered, then just hire a property manager. If you have uh i believe like six or more units then it becomes more debatable uh whether you want to hire a property manager even if it's not that far just so they can manage it for you especially if the amount of income you make from the tenants uh can afford the property manager on its own again it's up to you uh you know obviously you'll make more money if you don't have a property manager however if you want to eat, uh, live a stress-free life you could have an amazing day uh, and the family's good, the kids are good to you, and then a tenant calls you and complains about some BS story, and it could stress you out and ruin your day, uh, or all of a sudden you're worried that something may go wrong. You know, you could leave it to a professional if you don't like those phone calls, because that could happen any time of day. It could happen Friday evening, you're having a drink with your spouse or your girlfriend or whatever, and you get this news and you get all worried. Either leave it or you got to have thick skin and, but trust me, over time you will develop thick skin. Okay. It's going to take time just like anything else. You can't just go to the gym and expect results in one month. But if you do it for six months, a year, five years, you're going to start looking fantastic, feeling good. All right. Once you uh, maintain the place, just at least go once a year uh, to check all the smoke detectors, make sure they work. Uh, a lot of property managers go twice a year. It doesn't sound like much. If you can get one that's gonna go like once a month, bonus, but some of them do not. They just go twice a year. And that's, uh, you know, that's what you really need to do. I think maybe once the tenants have settled in, maybe you wanna go there after a couple months, just make sure everything's fine. Basically, you can just make up any excuse to go there. Like, I'm just gonna check the smoke detectors and just see if there's any leaks in the house. You know, if they're all of a sudden, you know, they brought a dog in the house and they didn't tell you if they're smoking in there um, and then just have a conversation with them. Uh, you know, if everything looks good, then great. Uh, but basically check the place every six months if you can at the bare minimum. A lot of people uh, eventually stop going to their places, but I would recommend every six months just making sure the place is fine. Um, nothing is going wrong. All right. So just maintain the place. Put aside a little bit of money. So if you're making, let's say, $400 a month cash, I'd put aside 100 bucks or 200 bucks for uh, random expenses, miscellaneous expenses, having to call a plumber. Like I said, that service charge would probably cost $200 on average. So if you put aside that money uh, and then just put it back into the investment, it's a smart idea. You can still take 200 bucks. It's up to you. You can spend, you can take the 400 bucks and put it in your account and just uh, pay for stuff whenever you need to. But I wouldn't recommend spending all that $400 or all your uh, cash that you earn per month uh, and then not expecting anything to come up at all, especially with these older kind of bungalows. If you if you bought brand new, that's a different story. Uh, but again, you're more likely not having a duplex. You just have a single family dwelling. Last thing I want to talk about, which is what we talked at the beginning of this podcast. Anytime you sign a mortgage, you are signing a five-year 
you know, you maybe you're signing a 25 or 30 year amortization, but the contract you sign with your mortgage company is normally for five years. So you have actually a lot of options unless life events deem otherwise, you have an option after five years to renew that mortgage. Uh, or, you know, you can find a different mortgage company, a better rate, whatever it is, but you also have an option to refinance or to sell. So if you read the book, uh, rich dad, poor dad, uh, one of their, uh, one of their investment strategies is let's say you buy a duplex and, um, five years goes by and you know, it's increased in value. Everything is good. So you want to sell that duplex to then buy a, a fourplex or a sixplex. So you always want to upgrade your investments. A lot of people think like that. I think it's a good strategy because basically if you keep doing that, right? Um, you may end up with uh, a huge building, which one day is worth $5 million or something. And that's going to be a lot more valuable than if you just sat on your duplex. And then when it's paid off completely in 25 years, it's worth, you know, $800,000 or a million dollars or something. Um, you know, 5 million is a lot more than uh, 800,000. So that's one strategy. Now, the other strategy is that uh, uh, there's actually two kind of strategies that you can do with investments uh, to speed up the process of investing. Um, the second one I'm going to talk about is a bit slower, uh, but is a little less complicated. The first one is called the burst strategy. So you basically, you buy a property, uh, you renovate it because it needs some work. Uh, so you're looking for something that needs some work. Um, you then uh, find a tenant for it. So you uh, rent it uh, so you can show income for that. Then you go back to the bank and you refinance it based on its current uh, uh, value. So you refine, so you renovated it. Let's say you bought it for 400,000. Now after the renovations worth 600,000, the bank will lend you 80 to 20% loan to debt ratio. So, uh, they might be able to lend you back, uh, like, you know, let's say you bought it for $80,000 down 20% of 40, 400,000. You uh, had a value of 600,000. Maybe the bank will lend you back $150,000 or $120,000. They'll say, okay, well, you can refinance it and we will, uh, the new mortgage will be now be uh, 450,000 and we'll give you, you know, 150,000 out of it. Um, so basically, uh, it kind of works like that, where you can refinance it. Now, what what the burst strategy is, you can actually do this fairly quickly. A lot of people have scaled from one investment to five investments and so forth. And then once you reach five, you basically have to find partners or come up with different lenders and stuff. So there are stories out there of people that have, uh, you know, 10, 20 investments and so forth. Um, once you get there, I think you'll figure it out. But you're starting with one to two. As you can buy that property, you can refinance, you could renovate it, refinance it, and then you repeat that process. So you can actually buy numerous investments in one year if everything goes well. So let's say you bought, you put 80,000 down, uh, and then you renovated it for 50,000 and you were able to pull up and then you own it. You own the property. It's being now there are tenants in there and then you refinance and you get $120,000 back, let's say. Now you can buy something else for 400,000 with 80%, 80,000 down, and you got 40,000 to renovate again. Maybe you got a little extra money in your pocket and you could keep repeating this process until basically the lenders say, I can't lend you any more money. Uh, you're tapped out. The other strategy, which is a bit more common, 
uh, for a lot of people is uh, after five years goes by. So I'll give you an example. One of my clients bought a house in Hamilton that uh, it's been rented out for five years now. And the renewal date uh, for the mortgage has come up. When they bought the house, it was 400000 and now the house is worth over 800000 So if they actually refinance the house based on how much mortgage is left on the property and the 80 to 20% loan to debt ratio, they can pull out $350,000 of that investment, still own it. So they still have own it. They'll still have, you know, now they'll have a $600,000 mortgage instead of $300,000. But, you know, actually, actually a little bit more than that. But... They own it, plus they have three hundred fifty thousand in cash, uh, and that means they could buy like two more properties with that, or you can buy like a big multiplex, like I was saying. Like you can with three hundred fifty thousand dollars cash, you can buy something for like like one point four million almost. So that that could be like a ten unit building in Niagara Falls, or you know something really cool that has a lot of potential to make you a lot of money, right? One of the things in Rich Dad Poor Dad that they talk about. Uh, besides uh, scaling your investments is uh, how long will it take you or how quickly can you become self-sufficient so for example if let's say your mortgage and your car and your kids and whatever it costs you five thousand dollars a month to maintain it well the goal in rich dad poor dad is to own enough investments that they earn you five thousand or more per month and they literally pay for all your expenses and then you don't have any bills whatsoever so that is actually an amazing goal if you could reach it however in hindsight this is just one episode that we talk about different steps of owning an investment things you could do with it let me know if you guys have any questions go to dukerealtyhomes.com or hit me up on uh, instagram philip.hiduke and uh, at philip.hyduke and uh, let me know if you have any questions. Have a wonderful 2022.